Welcome to Build Better, a podcast from Nadler Modular. The way we use buildings and space has changed forever. Where we work, learn, live and play is evolving. But the one thing everyone will still need is space. The construction industry will need to adapt to meet those changes and challenges, ensuring that we do build better. The Build Better podcast will explore some of the developments in different sectors and the requirements they have for buildings and how they manage their need for space. Each episode, you'll hear conversations with people at the forefront of construction, manufacturing, education, business, and others sharing their insights, commenting on trends, and giving expert analysis on the way we build. And now for your host, Director of Business Strategy at Nadler Modular, Wes Blessard. Enjoy the podcast. Welcome, Jeff, for being on the show today and discussing all things modular, all things construction, all things worldwide. So uh, you're the expert. Uh, if you'll tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of what you, your expertise is in and, and kind of how you go about your business, it'd be great. Okay, fantastic. First, I'd like to make one caveat. The word expert, I think, is thrown around a little too easily these days. So I will let you make that caveat. But um, I, my background is actually I'm an architect by trade. I started off about 14 years ago in my basement doing one-family houses. Um, subsequently, since then, we've reached a point where we're doing right now. We have a team, three offices, one in New York, one in New Jersey, one in Florida. We're doing about $2 billion worth of design throughout the country. Uh, as well as we spent a lot of time specifically for this particular show, we spent a lot of time researching the modular. I actually, I do my own development as well. And one of the development projects that I'm working on right now is a massive development in Florida, uh, with is a thousand houses and 790,000 square feet of commercial space, synagogues, um, schools, as well as a full community center, um, medical space, office space, and one of the things that we were looking at for construction on that particular site is module construction, which we're still not sure what type of construction we're going to do there, but we spent enormous amount of time on module construction as well as the architecture side, because we're architects by trade, our approach to understanding built form or, or spaces around us is slightly coming from a different angle. That's really my background, I would say. I understand. Yeah, we've had many conversations about this. So. So people understand, you know, what is driving you in the modular space? What what makes you interested in modular? So modular to me comes from two different components. I would start with one component. The first component of modular makes a big difference to me is modular construction has the control factor. A lot of times when we're on site, we don't get the ability to, to work on rainy days. Start with that for a second. So therefore, timelines are very important. I have a site that we're working on now in, in New York. And due to unforeseen sites and my neighbor complaining and, and all the other good stuff that come with it, we're, we're at least six to eight months behind schedule, right? Six to eight months behind schedule from a cost factor. Forget the material cost of the actual build, but the cost factor just alone for six to eight months of a back time on site, on, on work, is enormous undertaking just on loan credit itself, enough that we have to now rebuild our loan, which is coming from a 8% a loan. They want to raise it to an 11% loan, which is huge difference in course component of just carrying the building and finishing the project. That's one component. Second component I would, I would make a point is that when you're on site, you can produce, you can build an entire building in a very, very short period of time. We're talking about 
under, if it's a small building, you can put it up in a day or two or max you're putting it up in a week. That's an entire building build form. So your on-site cost is drastically lower. That's the second component. And the third component is, is the third component is that it is slightly cheaper. Now I'm not gonna say it's a general major percent cheaper on the total cost of construction. It is slightly cheaper and the product is much better. So it's a win-win situation as far as I'm concerned. I don't know why anybody else wouldn't think about it, honestly. I understand. And, you know, as we've had many conversations, you know, either at trade shows or talking on the phone, we do a lot of email swapping. You know, you're one of the few architects out there that are embracing change. You know, a lot of people have been doing it a certain way uh, for many, many years. And, and, you know, they're ingrained in that way and they're not wanting to, to, to make a change. So Jeff, when you start a project um, with, with an end in mind, how do you how do you visualize a project starting and how do you get it to the end? You know, what are your components you're looking for for completion for, for a client? So I, I just want to get some clarity on the question so I can answer properly. So from a clarity perspective, is this related to architecture or related to modular construction? So, so it is strictly architecture. You know, when when you're trying to um, take a, a vision that a client has and you're trying to put all the pieces together, whether you do it on-site or off-site construction, you know, what, what are the components like? How, how do you get the visuals? How do you get the feel? You know, what is your process for, for, the, for the client to, to get them to, to, from the starting point to the finish point to get the, the correct product? So I would say it really depends on the type of project we're doing. So like our company per se straddles many different types of typologies. For instance, we'll do apartment renovations, one family houses, as well as major ground up projects, inclusive of school buildings, synagogues, multifamily, as well as major commercial projects, as well as many city in Florida. When you, when you get, when each one of those topologies have a different mentality, but they all come down to, I believe, a very simple component. Like, and I always use a one family house because most people listening or understanding understand the one family house. They live in a one family house and they'll understand what I'm saying from perspective of their take on it if they're not necessarily in the industry. And one of the things that we do is that when we take a one family house, we try to interview the client for close to an hour to two hours to hear about their life. Every built form has relationship to the user more than we think. And I, I give an example, like for instance, if you have a white room and you put a red couch in it, I promise you'll look at the red couch whether you like it or not. And it's nothing to do with being off, there's a psychological component that your brain tells you that something's wrong, right? A one family house has a lot of that mentality into it where you have a psychological component. When I walk into it, what, what does it feel like? How am I reacting to it? Where am I doing homework with my kids? How is it, besides just the, the psychological component to it, you have this functional component to it to make sure that it actually works. You know, if you're doing homework with your kids and you want to cook at the counter, right? Do you want to see them when they're doing homework? Understanding the way they live, understanding the function of their life, in turn, you can build a house for them, which in turn translates that into built form, which is a very big different component. Now that applies across the board, not just in one family houses. It applies to commercial. You talk about office space. Talk about we design a chocolate factory. How do you? How does the chocolate get cold? And how do you? Has it? Has, what, what? What's the material that you put on it? We've designed commissary kitchens. How does the food come in? Where does it cook? Do you cook only at night? Do we? We have a place to store temporarily while you made it so you can be baked so you, you're not so hot in the space. Um, restaurants, how do you function on the on the waiter space? You have to get the waiters to work around the, the cooking staff. 
all those components are functioned, but at the same time, there's the psychological component to make sure that it works. So you have the psychological component to it, you have the function of it, and then the design aesthetics has to be tied in together. So uh, there's a famous there's a famous saying: "Does form follow function, or function follow form?" I don't know if you heard that saying in architecture. I have not. That's very interesting. So there's a famous saying: "Does form follow function, or function follow form?" I think it's a horrible saying, and the reason is because you can't have a building that has a form that doesn't work but functions, and you can't have a building that functions but doesn't have a form that works. They have to work together to make perfect architecture. So. You have to have the form working with the function to get you the right feel of the space. You have the psychological part, which is creating the form. You have the function part, which creates the usability of it, and then you get a perfect product. That is um, definitely a different approach than I would have thought. It, it, it makes perfect sense in the, in the fact that in order to deliver a product for someone and, and create the vision that they're after, but you kind of got to get to know them and you got to get, you know, kind of feel for what they're trying to accomplish, not just in a, you know, a visual aspect, but in an emotional and a physical aspect. You, you know, there's a lot of empathy, it seems like, goes into what you're doing is, is to understand where they're coming from, from their point of view. Um, right. With you covering so many different vertical markets from, from schools, education, healthcare, uh, straight out uh, multifamily. So do you see an increase you know, in, in one area or another, um, not just in a need, but actual go-to-market, like, like say, you know, multifamily. Are you seeing more multifamily now, projects now? Are you seeing like your straight commercial projects or infrastructure? Are you seeing one, one thing or another taking off more more so? I see, I see, a, I would answer the question a little bit differently of what I see because since we operate in all the markets, we're busy in all markets, it's very hard for us to pinpoint it. But as my my put my developer hat on for a second, because we do some of our own development, I will say on the, on the multifamily market, I know there's all talks in the market that market's crashing and housing is crashing. I can tell you now that from what I've seen on a shelter component necessary for the migrants coming into this country, on I know it's a hot topic and we're not getting into politics, which we don't want to get into politics. No, hey. Now we're all about hot topics here. Now we, we like something okay. hot. We don't. Have, no. So <laughs> I, I want to talk about I want to talk about the, the the issue of migrants from a different approach. Remember, right. they told me they shouldn't come to the country, not come to the country. Irrelevant if they could or can't. Exactly. The the issue we have right now is that we have a very small supply of housing to put them places. So if you have hundreds of thousands of people crossing the border, where are they living? We always say we have a housing shortage. We have no place to put it. I can tell you, I, I can't tell you specifics in certain cases because they're privy, I can't divulge some information, but I can tell you the shelters being built right now to accommodate them and the government's paying for their rent because they have no place to put them because they don't want them on the streets. And it's happening all across the United States. I can tell you in at least three states we're looking at space like this is happening. So from a housing perspective, there's no place to put them because there is no housing for them. And we as well have no housing for our own people that are living in the States now. We're going to have a major issue, not a crash, but I would say crash of, of issues where we don't have enough housing to supply for the people that are here. And it's happening already. Yeah, so the, we know we got a, a supply issue. So with that being said, how do you finance it? You, you know, like in single family homes, I mean, I, I keep hearing, you know, we can't, you know, we're, we've got a shortage and people want to buy, but they can't afford what's out there. 
you know, and, and, and I'm, I'm scratching my head because I'm like, okay, so how did we get here? You know, we, you know, when I grew up, I bought a home and then took the equity from that home and built to another home and took that equity and put, and I just kept stair stepping to where I'm at today. And when I, when I look around at some of the younger generation, you know, they're wanting to step into a home that I'm, that, that would be you know equivalent to the, the price home I'm in, but I've had four or five homes that have flipped the equity to, to get where I'm at. So the payment is affordable, not this gigantic, you know, payment that, that is, you know, I remember when, when I first got out of high school, this is going to date me just a little bit, but I thought if I could make 1500 I thought you were younger than me. I'm a little confused. <laughs> I've lived a hard life. I mean, <laughs> So I remember thinking that if I could make $1,500 to $2,000 a month, I was going to live comfortable. You know, that, 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 you know, I don't even know that I could even live today. You know, I, when I put numbers together uh, on projects for people and, and, and I, I, you know, I travel so much between New York and, and all the way down to Georgia. And, you know, of course, we got colleagues out in the Midwest and, I look at the, the cost of projects and then I also look at the median house values and I look at, you know, the, the, the median, you know, labor rates and stuff, because as we're trying to add employees you know all these things are important and I just don't know how people do it. And I think back about that comment that I had with my parents about the 1500 to $2,000. And I look back at that statement now almost don't even recognize it myself. I mean, I'm like, I, I can't even believe it because that would barely even pay any type of housing. Definitely wouldn't get you a ride to work. It, I'm not sure it would even get you a bus pass. So in New, York, in New York, it doesn't even get you a doghouse. So it's okay. <laughs> so, you know, I, so I, you know, I, I, I get it, you know, and, and I hear people that, that travel into New York and Central Park's being taken over. You know, so when, when me and Jeff Neiman flew out to Oregon um, last year, we, we went out to Oregon, uh, come through Portland. You can't even walk on the sidewalks. I mean, we're walking in the center of Main Street because there's so many tents piled all the way out in the middle of the street. And I know when me and you were up in D.C., uh, just across from the convention center, that there was a similar scenario there. You know, there were tents being piled up in all the common areas. You know, so so there is definitely a shortage in, in the residential side, you know, and, and me and you spend a lot of time also on commercial side. So when we talk about the shortage in housing and residential, there's also a shortage of schools, you know, and I know private schools is dear to your heart. We're, we're working on this initiative, you, you and, and and rise with, with me and, and Nadler and, and Jeff Neiman. And cause we think every child should not be left behind, not because we're lowering the standards, but because we want every child to be able to live up to whatever potential they have. We want them to be in a safe learning environment. And the only way to do that is, is to provide this to the communities we're in. And I know that you and Jeff Neiman spend a lot of time giving back, you know, and, and we, we could talk more about that later in the program, but this school initiative that we're working on, you know, it is a very powerful initiative because when I speak, I spoke to a gentleman today out of North Carolina that is looking up a new learning learning academy. And he, he was going today that, that they've got two parcels of land and they're trying to figure out which parcel to go with. And 
you know, they're meeting with the bank first thing tomorrow morning, and then they got a board meeting, and then me and him supposed to speak again after that. You know, and this is like one of like 15 or 20 opportunities that I'm working with, you know, and, and there's, there's just a robust, I mean, so we're talking about residential and then with that residential, these kids have, have to go to school, you know, they can't live on the streets and you say, well, they go to public school. Well, the, well, the problem is with public schools is they're getting overrun too. I mean, they, they don't have the needs you know, the, 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 the buses, the lunches, the, the workers, the teachers. So there's, there's an issue there. So there's a, a you know, religion, you know, with, with you being Jewish and, and I'm Christian and really? you, know, you got Catholic schools and you got Jewish schools and there's a lot of things there that we have in common. You know, we, we want the best for everyone. We want to make sure everybody's getting uh, educated. I wanted to weigh in a little bit on the school initiative, just to understand from our, on Rise Architecture Shalom, we've done in the last three years, we've done close to almost 40 schools throughout the country. Um, and I will say that it's a major issue and they, we keep getting calls. I think we got a call this week alone. We got a call for three new schools this week alone. There's a major, major issue with schooling because as you say, the more people they are, the more schools are necessary. And one of the things that, I, I'm going to, I wanted to weigh in on a few things that you said, and I'll weigh in on the numbers that you're talking about, the monetary component of living. But I want to get into the school initiative that we've discussed, because I think that's very important. What One of the things that is happening is because we, we always talk about society doubling, or right? Someone has three kids. A family, an average family has two kids and a dog, let's say, right? But two kids and a dog is twice the amount of the one family that they have. So if you double every 10 years or every 20 years, you double Doubling from 20 years before to doubling now is four times the amount as before. And it keeps doubling. So when you, I always say they give an example. You want to tell your kid, you want to give them an example of doubling. So you ask them if you want to have a dollar a day for a year, or you want to have a penny that doubles every day for a year. And if the kid says a dollar, he didn't do the math because a penny doubles every day. It's very expensive, very fast, right? Same thing with society. Society is doubling every 20 years. We're at a point today where if it doubled from 20 years ago, we're way more amount of people in the United States than we were 20 years ago. You can't, and we haven't ramped up the same amount of housing for those 20 years. We haven't even close to ramped it up. You know, when the last two years was a low, entirely nothing in the last two years, it's a major issue. Now, regardless of that, the schooling's the same problem. You have the doubling of kids. You have an enormous amount of kids coming in. What do you do? You need schooling for them. I can tell you alone, I was talking to an administrator in Florida, um, he, they need 35 schools, he told me. He says, I don't know what that means. These 35 new schools he needs to build in the next year. He doesn't know where to put it. There's a major, major need. And I want to just elaborate on, on the initiative, just to, to clarify the initiative that Wes is referring to. The initiative that we're talking about is that we wanted to create a modular system where we can have a school system, which is simplified from the perspective of buying something off the shelf from a school perspective. So imagine if you can go and pick pieces of the puzzle. So let's say you have a school module, you have a class, so you have the classroom module, you have the, the bathroom module, you have the office module, you have the entry module, and you can play with it as you see necessary. So you can get nice facades, the building looks nice. You can get nice components to it because the components have been thought out very specifically to work for a school. And imagine you can just take that and put it up six, any place you pick, be up and running in six months, which is really, really the key factor here. So you're, you're doing site work while you're doing work in the factory. So you're multitasking at the same time. Once the site's ready, what you do, site comes down, pops it down in site, you're ready to go. 
six months from when you started the process, you can be in your building six to eight months, which is fantastic. Obviously, assuming approvals are in place, let's just put that as a caveat for a second. <laughs> All this is a wait, assuming approvals in place, which is probably the hardest part of the puzzle is getting approvals in place from the local municipality. But could you imagine if you can have a school in six months specifically with this need? And Florida is a good example of it, that we were talking to the administrator, they need 35 schools. This is this is not a, a hypothetical. This is a le legitimate conversation with an with a, with a administrator there of a private, a major private school in Florida. But that's the initiative that Wes was referring to. And I think it's a major necessity. To set, forget the multifamily component. It's a major necessity in today's society to have proper schools. Kids can be educated properly. To have the proper flow of students to understand how a school operates. Um, and I can't say we're experts in it, but we have done a couple of schools about 35 and three years is something to pat our back on a little bit. But we do take, do as we initially started when we were very client-centric and same thing, student-centric to understand how they live in the school, how they function in the school, how the school has to operate from the perspective of functionality. We are, we are the egresses is from a code perspective to make sure that the schools are perfect. But you know, I, I'm glad you clarified that up because, you know, the thought process behind the, the program that we're working on is to deliver a cost-effective, time-effective product. You know, so we can obviously build custom and, you know, when, when, when you start building all that out, making individual changes and to meet individual visions, you know, those are possibilities and those are definitely things that we can deliver on. However, we're trying to deliver cost-effective, time-effective, so we can deliver next school year. They, they, they can be in, in, in the school. They can have the student enrollment. They don't have to turn kids away because every school I'm, I'm dealing with right now that had to turn kids away, they have waiting lists. And I'm, I'm like, I, I just don't understand. I, I'm confused at how we can have a waiting list to educate our children. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm not getting any younger and I need somebody that knows what they're doing. Could have fooled, you could have fooled me on that one. <laughs> I, I, you know, I think it's my hair. I think it's my hair. <laughs> but, but, but seriously, I, you know, I want a good doctor. I want to make sure that they were properly educated. You know, they understand what's going on and they don't just pull out the knife and want to start operating, you know, and, and that's important. And the same thing with the bridges we're building. I, I need to make sure the kids are educated and they understand the difference and, and the different vertical loads and compression loads and all these things, because I don't want to be in the middle of a bridge and it come crashing down because the kid missed eighth grade because he was on a waiting list. That's not what I want to hear when I'm sitting in, in court with my legs in, in, in a wheelchair. You know, I, I think it's important and, and I'm not really sure how we get there. I know in the modular industry, offsite construction industry, you know, we spend a lot of time talking about you know, cost effectiveness and, and, and time time efficient and, and things of that nature. And, you know, when I when I first met with you uh, last year, we were talking multifamily and that was a project you were working on and we were talking, you know, square foot numbers and, and different things. And, you know, th there's some benefits there. But but like I said, you realize as, as an architect, you know, look, I can still deliver on these visions and there's multiple ways for me to deliver on them. Whether I do it on-site or off-site, I can deliver both ways. One way may be better for this project, and the other may be better for that project. And I think that's the, the correct approach, is there's no one way that is better than the other. 
different different circumstances are going to drive different you know ways to to go to the project and I, I think that is very interesting that you picked up on that very early that that has drawn me to you is is looking at how you see things because you have a vision and and the renderings and things that you've done for us so far and, and the projects that you've been working on that, I, that i'll follow through linkedin you know you, you have a vision like you said to pull it out like if you were making a an italian dish and just all those ingredients. I can taste the basil. I can taste the oregano. So when when I see those projects that you're doing, I can almost see the journey that you've been on with, with the client. And to me, that's a testament of the work that you, that you and your offices are doing. I mean, you're, you're very busy, but you still seem to be able to touch on each individual ingredient as you go through the process. And, and I enjoyed seeing your renderings come out. Specifically, the oregano and basil, very important. Those parts, <laughs> without it, there's no, there's no taste. Uh, I want to, I want to touch your issue about financing and numbers. I think it's a very important component. If anybody listens to this, that they should understand what's really going on. Because you're right, when you were younger, fifteen hundred dollars to two thousand dollars made a massive difference, right? Today, fifteen hundred dollars doesn't equal the same fifteen hundred dollars then. So you have to also take it, take it against the inflationary number and see what $1,500 then equals today, right? Understanding the difference in that number could make a difference. That would be one point taken. What I will tell you is that there's a bigger issue going on, and this is what, yes, things have become unaffordable. And I don't think they're coming back down so fast. And that's not because of supply issue, um, even though that has part of the factor. The issue is that there's too much capital out. When there's too much capital out is that someone has a lot of money. For instance, if I want to buy a bagel, right? And you want to buy a bagel. And you have a dollar, and I'm going to pay a dollar fifty for that bagel. They're going to raise the bagel for a dollar fifty and charge you a dollar fifty. You're going to say, "Well, I can't have a bagel. I'll buy that bagel." Right? What happens is when there's too much capital out floating in the markets, that generally pushes up values. What it ultimately will do at a certain point, and this is what's happening with inflation. Inflation means a devaluing of the value of what a dollar can buy. So if a dollar was able to buy a bagel, and now it's a dollar fifty. And it's never going back to a dollar. Now, the dollar that used to be worth a dollar is now worth slightly less. $1.50 is the same value as what a dollar used to be worth. So inflationary markers are actually devaluing the dollar. It's not stabilizing it. So it's taking all the liquidity in the market and it's devaluing it to generate a more value. So now you have a house that cost a million dollars before or half a million dollars before. And now that same house costs a million dollars. That means that a million dollars is really worth only a half a million dollars from a year ago or two years ago. That's really what a devalue is. And it's going to overly keep doing this till it stabilizes to the value pegs at a certain number, and then it stabilizes at a 2% inflationary rate. So it has to deliquify the market at a certain point. You know, um, I should have stayed in 10th grade calculus, you know, <laughs> and, and economics. And now I realize the importance. My my teacher, you know, told me not to drop the class. I told her I'd never need to use it. Take those words back. Just like that fifteen hundred dollars and that two thousand dollars I spoke, I have to take it back. Jeff, you know, you bring up some very valuable points, and I, I think you drive them home not with just your opinions, but your analogies and your ability to to be able to piece it all together to to paint that picture, not just in your your work with your architecture. But when you talk about the de devaluation, and so people can understand really where we're at financially and why schools and why housing and why you know commercial projects are increasing in value. 
you know, and, and they don't understand that. They, they, they think that, you know, last year they had this budget and all of a sudden they're short. They don't realize that they're just short what they were then. Now they're short even more because the dollar is devalued. And right. you've, you've brought up an excellent uh, visual there to, to walk us through it. So I'm definitely going to have you back on the show. Uh, we definitely want to have you back in and, and discuss this more. Maybe we can do live in New York. Uh, when I make it back up, maybe we can sit there together. Maybe we can bring in a couple of your partners and uh, we, we can we can sit around and do a round table uh, podcast. Because okay. I definitely enjoy it. Only if there's food. Only if there's food or else forget it. Got to break hey, I'll, make, I'll make sure that Jeff Neiman has plenty of food for us to enjoy. <laughs> you know? right. I hear you. Yeah, I, I like to deliver. You know, I don't like yeah. to ever leave nobody without. So, Jeff, always great speaking with you. I look forward to catching up with you when I'm back in New York and uh, you know, we wish you the best. Thank you. Always a pleasure, Wes. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Build Better, a podcast from Nadler Modular. Remember to follow and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Stay tuned for future episodes.